Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm just going to read from Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Thanks, Sarah. Let's, let's pray, hey, as we open God's Word. Lord, as we've just heard uh, your Word read, this Word from Luke, this Word that you inspired, that you have been orchestrating over and using throughout all history, we pray that this morning that by your Spirit and through this Word, you'd convict us of the truth and certainty of your Son. And that we might come out from today stronger in our love and knowledge of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was 2004 for me. Uh, I just quit my job uh, in 2003 working for a top architects firm in Sydney as the head IT guy. Uh, and I started working as a full-time pastor. Uh, I did what Abby and Lyndon are about to do today, is that their first week starting off doing a thing called MTS, a ministry training strategy. Am, am I cut out for full-time ministry? I'm going to give it a go for two years and work that out. And as I shut the front door of our house, after meeting with two Mormons for a couple of hours, the question that was echoing around my head was, can I really trust the Bible? I mean... I've just left a great job and here I am now talking to people about Jesus and I've chatted to these Mormons and they challenged me and said, you know, have you looked at, as hard at the Bible as you have the Book of Mormon? I thought, can I really base my life on a piece of paper, on a book that someone wrote 2,000 years ago? What if I've got it wrong? What if Jesus wasn't real? I'd heard that the C.S. Lewis, the, the great writer, his line was that Jesus can either be, the only options really are, he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is the Lord. I was convinced that the Bible was saying Jesus was Lord. Like, as you look at all the evidence that's there, I'm like, that, he's not a lunatic, he's not a liar. Stuff kind of went out, things grew. I was convinced in who the Bible said he was, but I think maybe there was a fourth option that was challenging me and pushing me. Maybe he was a legend. Maybe the Bible's, what the Bible is saying convinces me he, he thought he was Lord, but maybe he didn't actually exist at all. Maybe the information we have has been corrupted and changed. Maybe the Bible wasn't true. It shocked me. It rocked my world. Doubt crept into my head. I couldn't let it rest. And maybe you're in a position like that. Maybe you've been in a position like that. Maybe you're here today checking out who Jesus is. And these are the questions that you're kind of thinking through. Can we really trust this document? For me, I went and had a look at some YouTube videos. I'm like, I'm going to find out. I'm going to, look, I'm going to do what I did to the Book of Mormon, to the Bible. And I jumped on YouTube. Man, it's a freaky world out there. There are some crazy people. There are some people saying good stuff. Like you'll find that video on, on YouTube. You might say that's crazy as well. But there are some people out there that were very, very out there, right? My take is that self-publishing hasn't really done the world any favours. <laughs> but there were things that kind of had some sort of substance that were enough to make me go, oh, 
I think I need to look harder at the facts. Have you looked at the facts? Do you, do you have doubts? As a Christian, maybe as, as a non-Christian, that maybe Christianity is the biggest hoax the world has ever seen? Have you ever had that? That kind of sinking feeling? Well, I want to show you today one of the reasons that you can put that fear to rest. There are plenty of reasons. But this one requires using your brain, not, not throwing your brain out. As some people think Christianity is like, well, you just throw out your brain, you throw out reason, and you just trust God. And it's wishful thinking. No, no, no. What we're going to see today is that there's no room in Christianity for switching off. In fact, when you switch your head on, you become more and more convinced of the truth. And it all begins with the book of Luke. Uh, Luke, as a book, if you're following your outline, that's where we're at. Uh, th- there's four kind of accounts of the life of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Um, the longest account of the life of Jesus is the one called Luke. And that's what we're going to be spending the next 10 weeks looking at. Um, the first five chapters of this book called Luke. We won't hit it all in kind of one hit. Uh, one preacher I know preached over 100 sermons in Luke. Three years, that's all they did. Um, we'll, we'll do it in sections o- over the next couple of years. Um, you might be thankful for that. It's 1,151 verses, right? And 568 of those, so just under half, are simply the words of Jesus. If you want to know who Jesus was, the biggest account of who he is and what he's done is here in the book of Luke. If you want to read and know about Jesus, then the best thing I want to commend to you is read the book of Luke. Go home today or sometime during the week and just crack it open. The average person reading to themselves takes about two hours to read Luke. So in two hours, you can see the most vivid and expansive view of Jesus that we have. If you don't have a Bible, I want to say that we've got some up the back that we'd love to give to you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, take one on the way out. It's our gift. We we want people to be bringing their Bibles along, to be opening it up, whether it's on a phone or on on a piece of paper or whatever kind of, if you've got a scroll or whatever sort of Bible you've got uh, that you really like using. It doesn't matter what it's on. Um, What matters is the word that's in it. So bring your Bibles to church. Bring something that you're going to use and kind of get familiar with. Um, But if you don't have one, please grab one. We'd love you to go home and have a look at this account particularly of, of, of Luke. So there's a second book in the New Testament called Acts, and that's written by Luke as well. It's kind of like a prequel and a sequel. He's got kind of two books. It's pretty good. He has two books in the Bible, except this prequel and sequel are even better because they don't have Zsa Binks in the middle, right? It's far better than the kind of dodginess that we get with um, the extra editions that you find in Star Wars. I want to show you from Acts 1, it's on the screen, that, that Luke has written another book. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus has begun to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. At the start of Acts, Luke tells us what Luke was about. In my first book, Theophilus, we'll find out who he is in a second, he wrote to tell us everything about Jesus. Luke and Acts are both historical biographies. Uh, They're telling the story and the acts and what kind of went on of Jesus' That's what Luke is doing, particularly viewing Jesus. And what Acts is doing, let's have a look at how Jesus affected the early church and what happened. Two books go together. They're written to the same guy, Theophilus. They're written in the kind of same educated, articulate style in the Greek. And so we know that whoever wrote Luke did write write Acts. It's kind of similar vocabulary, all that sort of stuff. Most scholars want to date Luke around 62 AD. So this was written... 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
What you have in your hand is a fairly reliable translation of what a guy called Luke wrote 30 years after Jesus rose again. Luke's the only gospel writer who, at the beginning, he kind of shows you under the bonnet. He lets you in to his sources, where he got things from. From the very first word, Luke's kind of like this guy who's transparent. I like him, right? He wants to lift the bonnet on the gospel and show you where he's gotten everything from, show you what's driving it. This is one of the things that I love about Luke. The other thing I love about Luke is he uses lots of words. He's a guy that talks lots. He's, he's verbose. You know, he's got to get his word count in for the day. You know, I, I kind of understand that. It's kind of a little bit what I'm like. I feel like he understands me. He's got to, he's got to talk and he wants to do it in detail. And, and I like Luke. He's kind of my guy, right? But it's not just because he talks a lot. I like him because he's humble. I like me at times. He's transparent. He doesn't, he doesn't try and hide what's going on. He shows you where he gets his info from. He doesn't try and claim more truth than there is. He doesn't try and climb the ladder of kind of church leader, celebrity pastor, mega church kind of guy. He's a friend and companion, apparently, um, to the Apostle Paul. Paul speaks about him in his letters in, in Colossians 4. So at some point, Luke has been traveling around the world with Paul, with the guy who saw the gospel go out. He's kind of like the church planter, right? And at some point, Luke has decided, I'm not going to fight with Paul. I'm I'm not going to argue with him. I'm not going to use Paul to beef up my resume and say, I'm a friend of Paul's. I'm not going to try and be Paul 2.0. That's not me. I'm going to serve Paul. I'm going to help Paul. I'm going to be his traveling companion we know Paul, that Luke is a doctor. Paul tells us that in, in Colossians 4. So here's this guy, humble, following around the Apostle Paul, a doctor who's written for us an account of what has gone on. Now, some of you here, God might use you like Paul. You might be someone that he ends up sending out to, to speak the word to others. But for others of us, we might be more like Luke, the person who's put alongside to see the gospel go out, who, who does all they can to research and support or to, to see things happen, to, to, to make sure the word of God goes by the giving or by being involved with your time, your money, your resources. What we see here is an amazing partnership in the news of Jesus. Paul's a guy that I love. He's humble, he's honest, and he's faithful. Kind of as a, as a side note, given that Luke's a doctor... Sometimes, I just want to address this right now, sometimes the question comes up in Christian circles, what's the role of science and medicine in Christian faith? You know, I think Luke's a great example. Sometimes you hear Christians say stupid stuff. That's a good statement on its own. Write that down, take it home. Um, You hear things like, you don't need medical insurance, you don't need to go to the doctor. If you just had enough faith, you'd be healed. You'd be fixed right now. Heard that? But then they go to places in the Bible to back that up and they go, see, look at Luke, because Luke's got the most miracles recorded out of any of the Gospels. They say, look, see, Jesus healed people. And they go to Acts, another thing Luke wrote, and they go, see, the Holy Spirit does miracles. This stuff can happen. And they forget to recognize that those two books were written by a doctor. A doctor. Someone whose job it was to help people get better. (laughs) It's a slight oversight, don't you think? The doctor's point wasn't that you don't need a doctor. The doctor's point is that Jesus is the great physician who fixes our greatest problem, sin. 
And sometimes he does miraculously heal, absolutely. And we should ask him to do those things because he can. Other times he heals through physicians. We need doctors and we need Christian doctors. Some people say that doing medicine, right, it's just a waste of time. Don't waste your time and your money on doing medicine. Just go out and preach the word, stand on street corners. Just be a, if you're fully for Jesus, you won't be a doctor. But I want to say we need sharp minds. We need people who, who think, inquiring minds that will think carefully about medical ethics and the way we act in this world to care for the sick, to show how science and Christianity are inseparable today as the day when Christianity birthed science. Do you know that? Christianity birthed science. It's kind of out of Christians that the modern scientific movement began. Christians who wanted to investigate the world God had made. I want to encourage everyone here, whatever job you're in, to not just think about how much you can make, but how to use your education, your skills, your time, your gifts, your abilities to be a servant of Jesus, like Luke. If you want to be a doctor, great. Praise God. Then go be a doctor, go study, and then find a way to use the mind, the abilities, the knowledge you have to serve Jesus. If God's given you a great academically capable mind, brilliant. Praise God. Go use it. If he hasn't, great. Brilliant. Go use the skills God's given you in other areas. There is no kind of anything special about being a doctor, anything somehow more godly. No, God wants to use all of us in the way he's made us. And here's the key, so people might see Jesus. And that's exactly what Luke does. He uses all that God has made in him, humbly but productively, for the cause of Jesus. He was willing to forego the income from a regular medical practice, I'd imagine, to, to be a researcher. According to church tradition, um, he was single too. He never married. That means he never had kids. He was willing to forego the pleasures of a wife and the blessings of children. Why? So he could travel with Paul. So he could give his money and time and life to the cause of Jesus. You can kind of imagine his friends his colleagues from med school, if they had it like that back then. No, don't do that. Look, you're a doctor and a smart one. You write really well, man. Use all that you have to achieve your potential. But Luke says, no, I need to serve my Savior. When you get who Jesus is, the most effective thing you can do with the gifts and abilities and talents God's given you is serve Jesus. Why wouldn't you? He's given us everything. Why wouldn't you want to tell others? Why wouldn't you want to use whatever you've got to see that gospel go forward? A friend of mine uh, sent me a book just yesterday. Uh, it came on Saturday. I was like, wow. In Australia, you don't get post on, um, on Saturday. So I love New Zealand. It's like extra. But um, <clears throat> he's worked with another guy who's looked throughout history at the way people have supported gospel ministry. Um, particularly William Tyndale. I don't know if you know the story of William Tyndale. Uh, Tyndale was the guy who kind of first translated the Bible from, um, what was just in Latin at the time, into English. Created the Tyndale Bible, the English Bible, so that people could hear and know the Word of God in England. Um, it was illegal at that time to translate the Bible. You couldn't, it had to stay in Latin. But Tyndale kind of had this passion to do it. And we all hear about Tyndale. Lots of people have heard the name Tyndale. Uh, but they haven't heard, and here's the issue, because I didn't write it down. They haven't heard the guy who was behind Tyndale. Humphreys, that's his name. See, what happened was Tyndale was pretty scared to, to do this stuff, the translation. He didn't have the time or the money to do it. But Humphreys came along. He's a cotton merchant. And he said, I heard God's given you a job to do. 
And he said, come live with me, I'll pay everything. You can live with me in my protection and you can just spend your time. So Tyndale, night and day for the next six months, live with Humphreys and kind of translated from the Greek and the Hebrew, particularly from the Greek in the New Testament, the Bible. And when he'd finished, then Humphreys used all his merchant ships as a cotton trader across England to distribute 3,000 copies of God's Word. And that lit the English Reformation and all these people came to know Jesus because Tyndale translated the Word. But the story you don't hear is the story of the humble servant who used all he had to financially and and materially and emotionally back Tyndale to see it happen. This is what Luke is doing, friends. He's letting the word go out. And there's a guy behind Luke called Theophilus. Theophilus is who this book is written to, and, and some say that Theophilus has done exactly that. He's been a gospel patron. He's gone, you know what, I am so eager to see the word of Jesus and work out whether it's true or not, that I'll fund some of it. Do you know our church exists because of people like Humphreys? People who will never know until glory, who have said, we want to back a church starting in Auckland. We want to make it go, it can't start on its own. There's no way that they have the funds to start a church with eight people that can grow. So we want to put our money where our mouth is. Um, In our first year, I think we got $90,000 from outside of our church, from people that you probably won't know. But they've partnered with us, like Humphreys, like Luke with Paul, and like this man Theophilus, to see the truth come out. Makes me want to use all that I have to see Jesus' name known, doesn't it? Well, I'm thankful for Luke because he cared for a friend, Theophilus. Have a look at verse verse 3 of chapter 1. Actually, he gets the passage, finally. Therefore, since I myself have carefully invested everything from the beginning... It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. First of all, I think it's brilliant that the longest book of the New Testament is written to one person, the most excellent Theophilus. Does God love the world? Yes. Does God love all nations? Yes. Does He love all cities? Yes. Does he love all individuals? Yes. In fact, the fact that God would go to such lengths to have two books of the Bible given to one individual, well, it tells me that God is a loving God. And he knows and cares for us individually, as well as corporately, as well as globally. That's a great comfort to me. So who, who is this guy, philosopher, uh, philosophers? Theophilus, can't even say it properly. Um, Well, the fact that he's titled Most Excellent, right, means that Theophilus has prestige and power. He's probably a a government official. Uh, At the end of the book of Acts, uh, the title Most Excellent is used three times of a Roman governor, a kind of political leader. So it gives us a pretty strong indication that this guy, Theophilus, is wealthy, is educated, and probably part of the Roman government. What's also clear is he's probably not a Jew, You know, Theo isn't a Jewish name. I don't know if you've been at a bar mitzvah lately and you've heard anyone yell out, Hey, nice kipper, Theo! He didn't laugh. That's because (laughs) Jews aren't called Theo. Theo's a Greek name. I don't know any Jews go, Hey, Theo, it's like like the Greek name, right? If you're Greek, your name's Theo. Or something else with an opolis at the end. And Ophilus, Theopolis, there you go. Um, He's a Gentile. But there's one more thing you need to know about the name Theophilus. 
It means one who loves God or lover of God. And so at the point God writes, or gets Luke to write this book to one person, he writes two books of the Bible for anyone who wants to love God. For us. So how does it kind of help us in our doubts? What about this book, Luke? How is it actually going to help me have certainty over the things that I've heard? Well, have a look at verse 4. Luke writes with a very clear purpose. It's written, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. As you read through this book of Luke, that's what's in the back of Luke's head as he writes. That's why he's doing it. See, there's this wealthy, prominent, affluent, kind of significant man, Theophilus, who becomes a Christian, and he's kind of wondering, is it really true? Is Jesus really God? Did he do what I've seen and heard he's done? Did he walk on water? Did he cast out demons? Did he multiply fish? Did he really say he was God? Did he really, can he really forgive my sins? Is this all true or not? See, Theophilus has a lot to lose if it's not right. If he publicly declares the truth that he is a Christian, he's going to get hammered. Because in that day, Caesar was Lord, not Jesus. You had to worship one person and that was his boss, if he's a Roman official, Caesar. But as a Christian, Theophilus would say, not anymore, Jesus is Lord. And on that day, he would say, my highest allegiance is not to Caesar, but to Jesus. And as a governor, he'd need to say, all religions are welcome. The worship of all gods is equal. But if this gospel was true, as a Christian, he'd have to say, no. There is only one God. And his son is Jesus Christ, and he is God, and he is our Savior, and he is our Lord. There is no other. This Christianity thing is going to get Theophilus in trouble with his boss. It could get him fired. It could get him imprisoned. It could cost him his income, his job, his position of prominence. There's a lot to lose, right? If it's wrong. And so, here's this man wrestling with this message he's heard. Maybe like some of you are today. Is it really true? Can I really base my life on a piece of paper? Do you really believe Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you willing to go public with Jesus? Are you willing to Facebook about him? Not in a kind of creepy, out there, YouTube-ish generator type guy way, uh, but in a way that's authentic. Are you happy to share with your friends at work where you were on the weekend and why? And that you were convinced from reading this account that we'll see in a second of how he's pulled this together, that there's certainty about Jesus that you can have. Are you going to blog your testimony? Are you going to speak to others? There's a lot at stake, isn't there? When you think about what others would think. Are you sure? Are you certain? But here's the thing. Christianity is not a philosophical system. It's not some wishful thinking up in the clouds that I'd like to believe is true. You know, I'd like to believe it. It's just a nice way to exist, to live. It's got good morals and, you know, it fits together. Christianity is a historical reality. It's based on events that it claims actually happened. It's built on the work of the man Jesus, his life, death, burial and resurrection. 
and the work of Luke, the work he sets out to do to bring certainty to us, is to go figure out exactly what happened for the most excellent Theophilus and for any lover of God. Now, I know some of you here will say, look, I I don't believe the Bible. That's fine. We love having you here. Welcome. We love you being part of this, hearing what God's got to say. We love it when people want to think through this stuff. Um, Some people will say, it's just a piece of paper. Um, Why should it have any impact on my life? But there is that easy way to kind of disregard it, isn't there? And say, look, it's just just a story. You know, I, I don't let paper impact my life. But my old boss used to say to me, or used to say, it's quite a funny line actually, um, when was the last time you ignored your electricity bill? That's just a bit of paper. But if you ignore that bit of paper, that's going to affect your life, isn't it? Bits of paper are only as important as the message that's on them. And if the message that's on them is true, then they're powerful. If it's false, you can just chuck them out. So the question as we come to Luke, as we think through this gospel is, did these events happen? Is it a legend or is it true? Let me say to you, Luke, as a medical doctor, is a guy who cares about truth. Early church tradition says he lived to be 84 years old. That's twice the life expectancy of anyone else around that time. What does that tell me? He's a good doctor, right? He can actually work out how to to not do dumb things. Um, he, He isn't naturally predisposed to believing in wishful thinking. He's thinking about what is wrong with people and how he can help them to get over their illnesses and their problems. He's into investigating carefully and that's what he does. So how does he do it? Let me show you. Verse 3 says, he set out to do a careful investigation. In fact, there are three things about Luke's investigation we see in verse 3. Number one, it's complete. It's from the beginning. He set out, not just, I don't want to look at a little section and then walk away. I want to know the truth from the start of this guy, Jesus, and how that fits even into the big picture of everything that went before in the Old Testament. Secondly, it's accurate. He says he was careful in working out first-hand reports, interviewing people, hearing what people said who, who were alive at the very time that it happened. And it's orderly. It's not some kind of cat's breakfast, dog's breakfast, is the illustration. It's not just kind of all over the shop, these ideas. It's actually written to show us something. Now, look, he's not hiding kind of the human factor in making this gospel. He's showing us that he's actually gone. He hasn't seen it all himself, but he's going to the sources. It's not some private revelation. You know how you meet people. I meet them quite often. Often they're at my front door knocking on it, saying, God told me, and then they kind of say this long thing afterwards that, you know, God the Mother is the true God. Um, had a conversation with someone about that and they had this vision and that God the Mother. Um, someone else says that they believed in their heart that these things were true. From, uh, I was a Mormon friend in the book of Two Moroni. And he said, so if you believe in, these hearts, in your heart that these things are true, you'll feel it and you'll know. And you'll have a vision and you'll be able to work out that this stuff is real. This isn't Luke. He's... The spiritual guy, in terms of, they know him as, the, as the, one of the key go- authors that speak in the Gospels about the role of the Spirit. He actually just says, I've gone to others to get it. And I reckon this is the major difference between Christianity and Islam. Right? Islam's the main contender in terms of world religion, different to Christianity. Um, the Gospel of Christianity says that there are multiple eyewitnesses to real events that went on. The Quran is the result of one man having a private revelation from the angel Gabriel over a 23-year period 
who no one else saw, no one else heard, no one else was part of. Right, just, just imagine as an illustration for a second. Um, on your way out of St. Luke's today, you went to cross the road to go across to, I don't know, something over the other side, and you saw an accident. Someone ran when they shouldn't have, a car came, hit the person, and they were dead. You saw what happened. In fact, four of you saw what happened because you were together and there were others on the other side. There were eyewitnesses. The police came in and they interviewed each of you and each kind of eyewitness checked out. Their stories were a little bit different because they viewed them from one side of the road or the other side of the road. And they kind of, but you kind of got the main events of what this guy ran the red, ran across the road, the car came through with the green light all over. The police investigate it, they produce a report, it gets reported on the news and in the newspapers. Then imagine six months later, some guy from Christchurch, who's never been to Auckland, because why do you need to go to Auckland when you live in Christchurch, right? That's what I keep hearing. I think they're missing out, but that's another story. Um, (laughs) This guy's had a dream about an accident that happened on the 2nd of February 2014. And this dream was nothing like what the witnesses said. The person didn't die. What happened was it was kind of a body that got switched on the way through and uh, it was already someone who was dead and, and the person who was said to have died didn't really die and the eyewitnesses that saw it, they all botched up the accounts. Well, 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived and died on a cross. He rose, he appeared to at least on 10 occasions, at times to over 500 people, 500 witnesses. There were 11 apostles who were with him every day. They saw what went on, um, and then Matthias was added later. Um, it was their testimonies, their spoken word of what happened that spread like wildfire across the Roman world amongst people who were there, who saw what went on. It, it took off. It wasn't like me writing a book on, say, that Hitler never existed or Hitler was a really nice guy, never did anything wrong. I couldn't write a book like that today because everyone would go, you're a fruit loop because there are people who are still alive who saw it. Like that, this message took off. Then not six months later, Not six years later, but 600 years after the accounts of the Bible, a man comes along with a different set of experiences. He claims the eyewitnesses are wrong. Jesus didn't die. Someone switched his body. They got the wrong guy because God's prophet can't die. Which one are you going to believe? To me, it's much more logical, more rational to actually say that these guys were there. The evidence corroborates with what happened around it. And Luke has set out to give certainty of these events. Some of the kind of, he's like the reporter, the policeman. Some say he's like this mix between an investigator, a private detective, a doctor, and kind of this um, investigative journalist. There you go. I said it without stuffing up. Um, He's set out and he's gone to look at three different forms. Oral forms, written forms, um, and then eyewitness accounts. But I want to show you just before we go on one more quote from a guy. This guy's a 19th century historian. His name's William Ramsey. He didn't believe that Luke was written in the Second Testimony. Second Testimony. Fire out, my words are gone. In the second century. Uh, He didn't believe Luke was written in the first century. He thought it was in the second. I'm just going to say that whole line again so it's clear. This guy, William Ramsey, 19th century historian, didn't believe Luke was written in the first century, 62 AD. He believed it was written way later, 100, 200 years later. He's a skeptic, but he was a historian and he's investigating the first century and after a while he had to come across this claim of of the book of Acts and Luke. And he looks into the writings and a study of kind of what's going on in the first century and this was his conclusion. And I want to give, he's a skeptic, right? 
Have a look, it's on the screen. Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect to its trustworthiness. He had an about flip because he looked at the evidence. He actually did what Luke did and went, what's going on? It's kind of a famous guy from history. So let me show you quickly the three sources Luke uses. Number one, oral tradition. Only about 5 to 10% of the people of the time were literate, right? So that means that pretty much 95 to 90% of the people couldn't read or write. Oral tradition is the main currency of the world. Now, so many people go to me, yeah, but you know, it's like Chinese whispers. It just gets passed on. How do we know it's true? Um, you know, but if I said to you, on a dark desert highway, cool wind in my hair, warm smell of colitas rising up through the okay, air, or is this a real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide? No. I didn't just say anyone else. Or um, what's, what's another? Oh, this we remember oral traditions. For my birthday, um, songs are oral traditions, right? We, we know them. They're passed on. For my birthday in January, um, Sarah gave me the Michael Jackson This Is It DVD. I kind of was a bit partial to Michael Jackson in my earlier years. And he was a great artist. But it's crazy the things you remember. Um, so Black or White was big when I was in high school. It kind of came out, Michael Jackson's big song. And for some reason, I just remember the rap bit, you know. Um, oh, no. Um, does anyone know how it starts? It's a cool world on a global scale. I'd rather hear both sides of the tale. See, it's not about races, just faces, places. It's where blood comes from. It's where the space is. I've seen the bright get duller. I'm not going to spend my life being a color. Damn it, you agree with me. I, you, know, you just remember stuff. I'm like, Sarah's like, you're a freak. I'm like, sorry. Like, oral tradition is actually good. Um, in fact, things are more likely to get changed in a non-oral tradition. That sounds weird to us because we're such a written culture, but that's where mistakes happen. When people all know it, like when, if I was to sing a song that you all know and put wrong words in, you're like, dude, that's wrong, right? We're kind of like, a, oral tradition was good. And this tradition about something that people would die for was passed on and spread across the world. And so Luke investigates these oral traditions collected. Secondly, he goes to written documents. So the Gospel of Mark was already written. Mark had already recorded down, was already kind of in circulation. How do we know? Luke quotes Mark. There's bits that are like straight out of Mark. And that's what he says. He's, he's going to the, the sources that are there. Matthew was probably written, but it seems that like Luke and Matthew share the same kind of source. All the Bible propeller head guys call it Q, because we've never found it. But there's this source called Q that they both quote from, and you can kind of see the sections. So they've gone and they've, they've taken the accounts that are around, the oral traditions, what people saw, and then, at it again, he goes to the eyewitnesses. He travels around and speaks to Mary, Jesus' mum, to Peter. What was it like, Peter, to follow Jesus? To, to Jesus' brothers, James and John, did he really never sin? Like, you're his brothers, you're going to know. Did he, did he, was he really like that? To Mary, what was going through your head when the angel appeared and said that you as a virgin were going to have a child? What was, what, what was the look on Joseph's face like when you told him that you were pregnant? Like, you can imagine, he, he's gone round to see, did the healings, did, did they really happen? Did these people, like, I'm a doctor, I want to know if this stuff actually went on. It's a serious undertaking and he hasn't just looked up some Wikipedia article like a 15-year-old high school student and quoted it verbatim as though it's true. Maybe some of us do it a bit later as well. He's gone to the source. He's gone to the eyewitness accounts. He's spent incredible time and energy and money to make an investigation, a careful investigation. We can't just write this off. You can't just say, 
without serious investigation ourselves, he got it wrong. Were you there? You've chatted to Mary and Peter and James and Judas. And By all means, don't just accept that it's true because he says it's true. That's crazy. But at the same time, you can't write it off without a serious look at its claims. It's claiming to be written from a doctor who was there, who investigated these sources. And Luke says he writes so that you may have certainty about the things that have happened concerning Jesus. Friends, death is real. So is life after death. Forgiveness is offered. Life forever is really possible for those who trust in Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who the Bible says he is. Careful investigation points people that way. There is not one other explanation that I have come across that makes as much sense of the evidence we see, not proof, evidence, than that Jesus really was who the Bible says he is. He really did the things the Bible says he said and did. And he really is the life, the only way to God. What God made certain happened in history, through the writer Luke, God wants to make certain in your heart. What God made certain in history, he wants to make certain in your heart. If you've turned to Jesus, you are forgiven. The stuff that the Bible says is true. You don't need to doubt the slate is clean. Jesus has died in your place. God didn't want Theophilus to live in doubt. And he doesn't want you to live in doubt. See, God not only saves his people. He wants them to know they are saved. Luke is a great book to give you certainty of the events that have gone on. The purpose of this gospel is to give you the reasons. You can be sure Jesus isn't a legend. He isn't a liar or a lunatic, but the Lord of the universe. We had a tradesman come to our house on Friday. Um, come occasionally, rented a house. And anyway, he asked me what I did, surprised that I was home. I said, oh, I, I'm a pastor of a church. And normally that stops conversation. Um, but sometimes people are like, oh, you know, what's that like? You know, it'd be awesome only working one day a week. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. heard that before. <laughs> That's all we do. It's right. Um, so we chatted through that and a bit of his background. Anyway, he got, he's quite interested. He just wanted to chat. Um, he's his own tradesman. So like he wasn't getting paid just to talk to me, um, I think. Uh, so we got to the point in the conversation where I could ask him, are you sure of what happens when you die? He's like, it's a great question. He's like, that's a great question. We talked about different religions and a friend of his that had just become, uh, followed in some cult that had just kind of gone off weirdly and um, just believed things and kind of took everything so literally and was kind of a little crazy. And, but I asked him, what happens when you die? He didn't know. He said, to be honest, it changes each week. I'm like, that's a problem, isn't it? Like it, it <laughs> I'd like to think I'd know what happens, but that means that there's, there's not much certainty. His major issue with Christianity was that, how can you trust one man's report? I'm like, 
you should be coming to look at what we, we look at on Sunday. <laughs> Written so long ago. He's like, I just think, you know, how can we trust it? Um, I, I don't think we can. I've seen stuff on TV that says, you know, it's not reliable. But, but he'd never actually looked into it. He'd never actually gone, I'm going to have a look at the evidence. And this is what I said to him. You may have heard this before. I've said it in church before. But I said, just imagine that someone came up to you, a mate, someone you know well. And they said, I've got this horse. This horse is a winner. It's going to win the next kind of horse race um, at the kind of stadium thing in Ellerslie, whatever that's called, horse track race course. Thank you. Thanks for helping. This is brilliant. Um, so it's going to win, right? Already you don't trust him, right? You're like, if you can't tell you what a race course is, you're out. But So he's like, guarantee it's going to win. And um, I said, but I, I, need, I need you to give me a thousand bucks to put on the horse now. You're going to get 20 grand return, one to 20 odds. It's just set. I said to him, would you do it? And he said to me, well, it depends. If he'd said that before and he was right, I might think about it. I said, but at the first instance, without checking him out, w- would you put $1,000 right now? He's like, no, no way. And I said, yet you're willing to say, to bet your life on the fact that Jesus didn't do the stuff the Bible says he said and did, you're willing to bet your life and you've never checked it out. He's like, yeah. Friends, the solution to the question about doubts in Jesus is to investigate the facts. To use our minds, Paul says faith comes from hearing the truth, the word of Jesus. So if you're here today, you're not yet convinced, you're still exploring, you're still investigating. If you're here as a believer, but you you lack that certainty, some of you might be really, really struggling. Paul says faith comes through hearing the word. Over the next 10 weeks, we get a front row seat to see Dr. Luke and the eyewitness accounts of what Jesus said and did up close and personal. Come along, hear the word of God, investigate what was written so that you might have certainty. Join a connect group. Chat about it with others. Talk about how it impacts your life. Come to our Explaining Christianity course and actually see if... It lines up. Whatever you do, don't bet your life, your future, your certainty on a horse you've never checked out. Come and see Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you so much for Luke, for his example, for the way um, you made him, for his brains for the way he's investigated these things lord we ask that you'd help us who are doubting to understand actually what went on we ask that your spirit would convict us of the truth of jesus that as we look through this account over the next 10 weeks we would be captivated we would see what an amazing guy jesus is what he's done for us and that we might serve him with our whole hearts lord show us where we can be gospel patrons Use us, we pray, to see this message of Jesus reach all of Auckland. Lord, we long to see this church grow, not for our glory, not to say Auckland EV is great. Lord, we want less of us and more of Jesus to be known in this city. So Lord, please, we beg, captivate us, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, keep our doubts at bay by looking, investigating, seeking the truth, 
and keep your name high in this city so that people might come to you and trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to celebrate together uh, now the Lord's Supper.